3: It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Good evening listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about sacrificial statues and ravenous roommates. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Kyle Gruber and Amaris, our voice talents Nick Goroff, Olivia Steele, Creepyface, and Justine Anastasia. Now get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first story tonight is written by Kyle Gruber and is performed by Nick Goroff. In it, we will meet a young boy who begins having nightmares about a statue in the attic. His mother's voice guides him to the attic where his deceased father's archaeological workshop lies unattended. As the statue becomes more lifelike, the mother's health declines. The boy overcomes his fear caused by the dream to save his mother. Without further ado, I present to you Dead But Dreaming.
4: The nightlight dims as Eddie's restless sleep is broken by a whisper from beyond his bedroom door. Eddie, come to me, Eddie. Mom? He obeys his mother's summons without a second thought, and so steps from bed and crosses the dark room. He peeks out the open door and sees nothing but the moonlit hall. He flips the wall switch, but no light follows. A primal fear grows in him. The fear that all children have for the dark and the things that might lurk therein. Mom? Mom? This way, Eddie. Follow the sound of my voice. Swallowing his fear, he steps into the darkened hall and across to his mother's bedroom. His hand is on the doorknob when the whisper returns. No, Eddie. This way. The voice now comes from the door to his left, the door that opens to a narrow stairwell and up to the forbidden place. I can't, Mommy. It's locked, and Dad said never to go in without him. It's okay, Eddie. I'll unlock the door for you. Click. Okay. Eddie replies apprehensively as his shaking hand reaches for the knob. The door creaks open and exhales a breath of dust and decay. Eddie couldn't help but imagine it as the mouth of a giant opened wide and ready for a snack. Come on, Eddie dear, up the stairs. I don't want to. His voice was trembling and tears filled his eyes. Come! The demanding voice came like an echo from atop the wooden steps. Eddie found that he had no will with which to disobey, and so he ascended, step by creaking step, and all the while, it somehow grew darker and darker, until he was forced to navigate by feel alone. Finally, he reached the top, and stepped into his father's old workshop, that mystical repository of artifacts and antiquities collected from faraway lands, brought home for refinement and study. He had seen the interior only on rare occasions when his father had something special for Eddie to see. A renowned archaeologist, Mr. Morgan would spend months overseas and in strange, remote places. Sometimes he would come back downtrodden, with nothing to show for his work. Sometimes, he would come bearing wonderful anthropological marks of human history. But from his last journey, he came back not at all. Don't touch, just look. Everything in here is very delicate. These will all be in museums someday. Eddie's father gestured to the work tables, which held a variety of his latest discoveries, alongside various instruments, such as sandpaper, precise cutting tools, and lacquer. He was a man that could never focus on a single project for too long, but he would always come full circle, and the finished product was something to behold. Besides, they're magic, and if you touch them, they might just... Come to life and eat you up. Eddie's face had taken on the aspect of fright as he eyed the many artifacts under a new light. They will not, Barbara Morgan playfully smacked her husband's shoulder. He's just playing with you. Barbara, better known as Mom or Mommy, was almost always in a playful mood those days. Days gone by. She was pregnant with her second child though she did not know it then. Indeed, it was not until her husband departed on his last expedition that the doctor gave her the news. Mr. Morgan, on the other hand, reached his final destination before ever knowing that he had become a father for the second time, and though he died deprived of one of the happiest moments of his life, at least he would not suffer the heartbreak That would come when his wife miscarried seven months later to eddie's young mind the attic died with his father after all it was a place that could only be accessed by a unique key a key that no longer existed it may as well have been a coffin mr morgan was buried in it felt like a lifetime since he had last been in this room and it was as dark this night as it was bright then mom a shape moved in the darkness and became a dull glow the glow became a shape and the shape crouched with arms held wide come here baby she was like a beacon in the darkness he ran to her and flung himself into her arms eddie I need you to do something for me. I'm here, Mommy. I want to help. What do I do? Her hands guided his face to her own. It held the semblance of her features, but instead of warm flesh, there was only cold, dead stone. Let me out, she shouted. He awoke, screaming. Within a few seconds, his mother rushed in and embraced him. He saw her warm, living face and held on to her as tight as he could. It's okay. It's okay. You just had a nightmare. Eddie's sobs slowly ebbed. It wasn't you. Can I sleep with you tonight? Sure, honey. Eddie held on tightly to his mother's waist as they walked past the glowing nightlight. And into the well lit hall. Eddie was an easily frightened child, even for his age, but he was also very brave. And the next day, when he passed by the doorway to his father's workshop, he tried the knob. It didn't budge an inch. Relief flooded him, and he was ready to accept that his nightmare was nothing more than a bad dream, a belief that would not survive long. The next night, Eddie once more opened his eyes to a dream world. The nightlight was dark, but the dull glow from the doorway was enough to see by. It came from a stone woman, standing, silent as the grave. Come with me, Eddie, the voice came from the statue, though its carved lips did not move. In fact, he could not be sure that they were words at all. It was more like a feeling, both familiar and alien, that flowed from the figure in the doorway. Eddie was powerless to resist. When he climbed out of bed, the house beneath him rotated around the statue. He barely held his balance. The statue itself did not move, but by the time the house stopped moving, it was facing the hall. Then, the house began to move backwards so that the statue's feet scraped against the floor. Eddie followed as if walking on a treadmill. He expected the house to stop again once it reached the door to the attic, but it continued to the stairwell. Once there, the house turned and tilted, so that when it moved next, the statue seemed to float down the stairs. It led him to the dining room, and the house finally stopped moving at the cabinet in the corner. Eddie spoke with trembling words. What now? The statue made no response, but intuition guided his hand to the highest drawer, one that he could not have reached last year. He looked to the statue for confirmation or denial, but it just stood there, blankly. He pulled on the iron handle. Ah! Eddie screamed in pain as a monstrous, inhuman arm grabbed hold of his wrist and crushed it. The bones splintered and broke. He looked at the face, but it had changed from an imitation of his mother's to that of a fully realized demon. It was the face of evil, and it roared like a banshee. Its mouth opened ever wider until the footlong teeth parted. Eddie felt his eardrums exploding at the sheer volume of the voice. He awoke in his bed, unable to cry out he couldn't even move the fear was so great that it paralyzed him and for a few horrible seconds he believed that he had turned to stone like the statue in his nightmare the thought passed as he willed himself to breathe in a great gulp of air he pulled himself out of bed shaking but emboldened by the glow of the nightlight He took off his wet pajamas and buried them at the bottom of his laundry basket. He took clean pajamas down the hall to the bathroom and showered like a grown-up. His mother woke, but did not get out of bed. A moment after the shower stopped, her door opened slowly and quietly. Eddie walked in on tiptoes. She expected to feel him cuddle up against her, but instead he just stared at her studying her she opened her eyes and looked into his nightmare at the sound of her familiar voice he crawled into bed and pressed tightly against her the following day eddie would not step foot in the dining room his mind was always on the drawer from the dream imagination filled it with a thousand things but whether benign or diabolic all led back To the nightmare visage that nearly killed him with the power of fear alone he couldn't imagine anything that would be worth the risk of confronting that again the following night Eddie delayed bedtime for as long as he could manage Mom, I'm going to have another nightmare if I sleep alone Can I sleep with you please? He stretched the last word to emphasize how desperately he wanted her to say yes Okay, but this is the last time. After getting ready for bed, Eddie took his nightlight and plugged it into the wall of his mother's bedroom. Then he crawled into bed, closed his eyes, and faded to sleep. Darkness and the fog of dream filled the air when Ed next opened his eyes. His mother's voice called from beyond the closed door, but it was faint and muffled. His mother stood over him with a loving smile and when he rose to the voice, a hand pressed him down to bed and lulled him back to sleep. He went peacefully and the hours passed in a haze of slumber. Hours later, he found himself again in darkness, dream fog still heavy in the air. This time he rose from bed of his own volition. His mother was gone neither watching over him nor in bed where he expected to find her. For perhaps the first time in his life, he knew that he was dreaming. Curiosity overcame fear, and he ventured out into the darkness. The door to the attic was ajar, and a faint light glowed from atop the stairs. Mom? He crept up the steps. What would his mother be doing in his father's old workshop at this hour? The room was lit only by the lamps above each workbench, and his focus shifted to survey their contents. They were crowded with ancient artifacts and curios, some packaged for display, while others sat beside brushes and chisels, half-encrusted by years of neglect. Stone tablets, effigies, fetishes, and on the last workbench, there sat a skull. Not a human skull, but that of an animal that he did not recognize. Maybe an ape? He reached for it, but stopped short. Besides, they're magic, and if you touch them, they might just come to life and eat you up. Suddenly, the skull terrified him, and he whipped around toward the door his eyes opened wide as he gasped in fright. It was in the middle of the room. How could he have missed it? The bust was the size of a man, only it had no arms or legs, and stood by way of a pole that impaled it from below. It had no face or features of any kind. It occurred to Eddie then that the ancient bust stood where his mother did the last time he dreamt of this room, and as he stared at it, it seemed to change slowly the face began to form and the body curved to a feminine aspect the crawling change stopped just after the eyes became discernible the pupils seemed to twitch but the stone remained motionless he stepped slowly towards the door never taking his eyes off the bust finally turning to leave he heard a whisper from behind it was so quiet and strained, he almost couldn't hear it. Eddie, is that you? Eddie shook his head vigorously. N- no no. He turned and ran back to his mother's bedroom to hide under the covers till morning. Eddie awoke before his mother and pushed her gently. Mom? Mommy? She awoke with a groan. Mm. what time is it eddie looked to the alarm clock by the bed and recognized the numbers 10 o'clock you'll have to dress yourself today i'll make breakfast in an hour but i'm hungry mommy not now ed go get dressed it was two hours before barbara made it down the stairs and into the kitchen Eddie was already sitting at the table, waiting for breakfast. She moved slowly and clumsily. Her hair wasn't brushed, and she was still in her nightgown. Her face was pale, and there were dark bags under her eyes. Breakfast was a bowl of cereal and a glass of orange juice. Eddie was grumpy with hunger, but restrained his emotions. Thank you, Mommy. You're welcome, sweetie. Eddie's sleep was dreamless that night, but when he knocked on his mother's door the next morning, there was no response. Mom, wake up. Wake up. He kept knocking, and finally a shout came from beyond the door.
3: Go away!
4: She had never shouted at him like that before. It scared him, and he left her alone. When she finally came out, She looked even worse than the day before. I'm sorry I shouted at you, baby. I didn't mean to. Not feeling well. It's okay, mommy. I love you. I love you too, sweetie. Eddie felt like crying. He had hoped his mother would praise him for making breakfast, even if the cereal was soggy. The next morning, Eddie didn't even try to wake her up. Instead, he pulled the chair up to the counter and set up two bowls of cereal. He put the milk on the table instead of pouring it into the bowls so that the cereal wouldn't be soggy. After half an hour, he lost his patience and ate alone. The milk was sour by the time Barbara finally made it to the breakfast table. Over the next few days, Eddie would refine his breakfast routine while his mother declined. His sleep had not been dreamless, but they were not the nightmares before. He was his father painting a portrait of his mother. He was a dog following scent in the woods. He was Superman, rescuing Lois Lane from the Bizarro Superman. But most often he was a fisherman, and in that dream he was lost at sea in a small boat that he did not know how to sail. His fishing rod would quiver and he would take it and pull. As the reel turned, a shape rose from the deep. The shape seemed to swim toward the line, not against it, but something was binding it to the deep. He would draw the shape ever near until the sky darkened, the sea turned violent, and the fear crescendoed within him. He would let go of the rope, and the next dream would come. Each day Barbara grew more ragged, more agitated, and less patient. He tried to help any way he could, doing her clothes and making her meals. It was heartbreaking to see his mother this way, and whenever he thought of her decline, he couldn't help but remember how the dream statue seemed to morph in the opposite way. The two had been related, but how? He had only one clue, and yet the paralyzing fear threatened to overcome him at the very thought. He made sure that it was broad daylight before entering the dining room. He could feel his heart pounding as he approached the cabinet and the forbidden drawer. He looked back and forth until he was satisfied that there was no one and nothing around. He pulled the drawer open as quietly as he could. The sound of scraping wood. He froze and listened for a response. When none came, he resumed pulling, a little less cautious this time. He looked in. Magazines and power cords? He was confused. His caution abandoned. He dug through the drawer. Power cords? They don't work on people. He knew that. They power a medicine machine? What? His hand wrapped around something metal, and it filled him with a certainty that he had found the secret of the drawer.
1: Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move.
0: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
4: Eddie wished that the secret was something else, anything else, but it wasn't. He went to his room to prepare, telling himself that he would not hide under the bed. He wouldn't. He might. He was going to. He stopped at his toy shelf where he kept his favorite action figures, the ones his dad had bought for him, the ones he loved like family Batman the Ninja Turtles Boba Fett and his very favorite Indiana Jones at times when he's playing he forgets that Indy isn't his father he held them one by one and lingered on the last suddenly he didn't feel like hiding under his bed anymore he took a deep breath and moved in the direction of his mother's room with the metal from the drawer. just before reaching the door, he turned to the locked stairwell, placed the metal into the keyhole, and turned. He walked into the giant's fetid mouth and up the stairs to the dream-haunted workshop. He saw, in the center of the room, impaled by a standing pole, the anthropoid stone figure which he feared only now. It looked like a mannequin copy of his mother even with its limbs extended slightly from the stumps he sidestepped then ran to the window and ripped down the curtains to let in the light he hoped that the thing would disappear or burn up under the sun he braced himself in expectation of a horrible banshee wail, but it never came he didn't know what to do next the thing was real and it was changing. It already looked so much like his mother. How would he be able to tell the difference between them when... No. He would always know his mother. Of that, he was certain. He yelled at the statue. Get out of here! Shoo! I'm not afraid of you! He grabbed hold of a rock from the table and threw it at the statue. The rock bounced off harmlessly and the statue made no response. He sat down, frustrated. No ideas. After a moment, he came to a realization. Books are ideas, and there was a whole shelf of those right here in the room. He ran to the shelf and his excitement plummeted. He didn't know any of these books. They were nothing like the fun, colorful ones on his shelf, he couldn't even read all of their titles. He pulled the first dictionary. He immediately realized that it would do him no good and slid it back onto the shelf. The next one, Egyptian History, was so boring that he started to doze off after the first paragraph. The third book was the worst yet De Vermi Mysterie. The words inside looked like English, but he couldn't understand a single one. He was getting frustrated fast and threw the book in the trash. With instant regret, he hurried over to it, forgetting his fear of the statue. But then, his attention was intercepted by yet another book. It sat on a workbench like an exhibit. Instantly, he knew that this was the one... It was the most ancient-looking thing he had ever seen. The book, titled Susuris est Deus Mortuorum, was large and bound in leather. He knew he wouldn't have time to read the whole thing. Instead, he used a trick he had learned all by himself. He laid the book down on its spine, holding both covers gently, and released. The book parted in two directions, each side splitting from the reader's last location. These words were even stranger than those in the black book, but maybe he wouldn't need to read. This book had something the others did not. Pictures. As a matter of fact, the illustration on the page to the right told him, without a doubt, that he was on the right track. It illustrated the same bust in that very room but the one in the picture was bound by chains and hung from an unseen ceiling. He turned the page. The page on the left consisted of the same indecipherable text as the last. Just the sight of it made him dizzy, but the picture it illustrated the same bust in chains, but there was something else too. To the right of it hung a man. The man was chained like the bust, but unlike it, the man was screaming. The next two pages were too damaged to make out anything significantly different than the last, though he felt that at least one of the figures from the last page remained. He turned the page once more. This time, the image caused him to gasp in horror. The illustration was that of a monster with a long face full of teeth. It was holding a child over its head by one hand, as if about to drop the whole body into its widespread mouth. The ink line seemed to flex and shiver, and Ed feared that the creature would walk out of the page, ridiculous. He knew it was ridiculous, and yet the lines of ink were moving, slowly, silently, and then the monster's hand released its grasp, and the child fell screaming. The gaping maw snapped shut, and the cartoon droplets of blood flew in all directions. Ed felt something hot and wet splatter across his face. The monster swallowed, and its body bulged out as the child slid down its throat. Eddie was paralyzed in fear that the lines on the page shifted once again. Only one eye was visible when he opened the page, but now the second was slowly appearing as the monster's head seemed to turn and turn until it met Ed's gaze. Then suddenly, the picture changed completely. The blood was gone, and instead of a monster, there stood a man. A man he recognized. Confusion frothed on the surface of terror. Where had the man come from? And where did the monster go? And why was the man smiling so darkly, when only a few pages ago he was screaming in terror, chained up beside the... The confusion evaporated, but the fear only boiled. The smile grew more wicked, as if in response to Ed's realization. That's when the background took shape. At first, the page was blank except for the man, but now darkness bled through from below, filling the yellowed spaces with lines of ink. Ed watched, in terrible expectation, as the man in chains faded back in, only now he wasn't only screaming, but crying as well. The right page began to flutter, as if begging to be flipped. Ed slammed the book shut instead. He prepared to bolt from the room, but as he turned his eyes locked onto those of the canonical bust. It had somehow turned in his direction, and the eyes shone with an unbearable netherlight. It pulled at him, and he was drawn into that horrible glow like a typhoon. Then he found himself floating in thin air above his home. The daylight had turned to darkness. He realized that he was holding his breath and forced himself to inhale half expecting this to fill his lungs with water and drown. No, just autumn air. It was a moonless night, and the streets were layered thick with fog. There were scant streetlights in the suburbs, but the few seemed to form spheres of luminescence. He pushed at the air and propelled himself toward the light. He miscalculated the thickness of fog and hit the ground softly. Unhurt, he leapt high into the air. Once his ascent slowed, he kicked his feet and pulled with his hands as if swimming. He rose back above the streetlight and swam above the fog. He swam upside down, in loops, in every other manner he could think of. He swam to houses and peeked in windows. He swam to school and back. He almost forgot why he was there, but it wasn't long till he felt a tugging. There was no physical sensation, but he was still somehow drawn home. He was within spitting distance of the attic window, moving fast and building up speed. He pulled his head down and his feet forward, so that he would land like a cat on the side of his house, a maneuver he practiced a half-dozen times already. With the spin brought his vision back to the incoming house, his eyes went wide, and he frankly kicked and pushed himself to stop. The window had opened. A black shadow had emerged and crawled down the side of the house. It was silent as the grave, fast as the wind, and it wore the darkness like an impenetrable flowing cloak. Moving unbound by gravity, it barely touched the house, seeming to use it only as a source of propulsion. It reached the ground and clung to it, more like an insect than an animal. Ed wasn't even sure it had legs. The creature was at the neighbor's house in the blink of an eye. It half flew, half skittered up the side, stopped without momentum and peered silently into a bedroom window. It seemed to survey the room with its head shifting and twitching. Mr. and Mrs. Hauser lived in that house a warm and outgoing couple who loved to see Eddie play. They said he reminded them of their grandchildren. Eddie held his breath, praying that the wraith-like creature would leave them alone. It seemed that his prayers were answered because the creature abandoned its search and crawled down the side of the house. Within a second, it was across the street and starting on the next one. Eddie swallowed his repulsion for the thing and swam after it, intent on keeping as far above and away from it as he could. It was on the side of Anna Jackson's house now. Miss Jackson wasn't the friendliest neighbor. Ed's mother told him never to bother her. She said children annoyed Miss Jackson because she never had any of her own. Eddie didn't want anything bad to happen to her, but he knew that he wouldn't mind as much either. It peeked in on her bedroom window, and Ed held his breath. The curtains were drawn closed, but that didn't seem to matter to the creature. It peered in as if there was nothing but air between it and her. It lost interest and passed to the next house. This is what Ed feared the most. This was Susie's house. Susie was the youngest of three siblings and Eddie's best friend. The creature started on the window facing the street, and Eddie flew to the other side where he knew Susie's room was. He didn't have time to slow down. Instead, he landed his feet first on the backyard tree and rebounded straight at his friend's window. He pulled at the sill as hard as he could, but it wouldn't budge even the slightest bit. He could see her sleeping soundly, just on the other side. He pounded his fists on the glass, but not a sound was made. He yelled as loud as he could, but she didn't stir. What could he do? He looked around frantically. Could he throw a rock? Could he even hold one? His gaze turned upwards, and his eyes stopped dead. Peering down from the roof was the wraith-like creature. Its face was nothing but darkness, but Ed was certain it had its sight locked on him. He froze, and his fingers slipped from the window frame. He sank to the ground, as if in slow motion. He could fear tears welling up as he remembered all the fun he and Susie had together. He could see the sandcastle they made at the beach, the games of tag that he would always let her win. Even the time she gave him cooties by kissing his cheek. Finally, he hit the ground as soft as a leaf. The creature skittered from the roof and down the side of the house. It stopped at Susie's window and peered in from above. It had not seen Eddie after all, but the sleeping girl wasn't so lucky. It found her immediately and then raised its giant clawed hand to the glass of her window. Tap. Tap, tap, the long, inhuman fingers gently wrapped on the glass. Ed had a sudden realization. It needed her to open the window. It can't get in. It was tapping to wake her up, but when she saw it, she would scream, and her parents would come running and scare the creature away. But of course, it didn't happen that way. Its head cocked erratically at odd angles was becoming impatient. Then, finally, Susie's face appeared at the window. She was looking up at the creature in joyous wonder. Who can say what she saw, but it, whatever it was, was a lie. Eddie tried to yell, but all he could manage was the slightest gasp. He tried so hard to move, so hard, but he couldn't budge. Susie unlocked the window and lifted it up over her head. Her excitement instantly turned to horror, but she didn't have time to scream before the creature flew in and Eddie could see no more. He felt tears streaming down his cheeks, and he closed his eyes tightly as he could, hoping that this nightmare would end. He held his eyes shut for a long moment, and when he opened them again, The sun was shining through the window of his father's old workshop. The bust was there, but it had gone back to its original position. He walked around to look at it from the front. Its appearance had changed again. Now it looked exactly like his mother. The features were perfect in detail to an impossible degree. Even the stone looked like flesh. He backed away slowly. Eddie, his mother embraced him from behind. Mom. Her hug was tight, but warm and benevolent. He had never been more relieved in his entire life. What are you doing in here? You know you're not allowed. Mom, it's alive. It's going to copy you and it's going to kill you. Then it's going to eat all the kids. Mom, you have to help. Slow down. What are you talking about? The statue, Mom. It's alive. She took a deep breath and spoke soothingly to him. Statues can't come to life, Eddie. It's not a statue. It's a monster. Look, it looks just like you now. Barbara turned to look up and saw the bust. What have you done to your father's favorite project? She sighed. I... I didn't do anything. It just turned like that. She looked around, saw the book by the trash can and the ancient one on the table. Then she turned to look at him, crouching down to his level. How did you get in here? I had a dream. The statue took me to the drawer and there was a key inside. Then the statue turned into a monster and then it broke my arm. Eddie held up his arm as if to show her, but realized too late that there would be nothing to see. She looked at it skeptically, and Ed realized then that he was in a fight for his life. He had to convince his mother of the truth. He had to. It was becoming a doppelganger. It would copy his mother, kill her, and use her face to hide by day so that it could eat children by night. He knew it was true. He just had to show her. It was real. How else would I have found the key? I'm not sure. Maybe you saw your dad put it in there. It wasn't exactly a secret. We just wanted to keep it out of your reach. I hadn't even thought about moving it now that you've gotten so big. I didn't know. And even if I did, how would I know the statue was here before I even saw it? Ed knew she didn't believe him yet, but he was sure she wouldn't think he was lying. That statue's been here for years, Eddie. You've kept it in your subconscious and it came to you in a dream. That happens all the time. The monster is in the book, see? He pointed at it and she walked over to look. Oh, Eddie, I wish you hadn't seen this. He held his breath. She sounded convinced. A kid your age shouldn't see books like this. But The monster was real. I saw it crawling on the houses, and it, it ate Susie! Honey, remember when we saw the doctor last year, and he told us you had narcolepsy? Yeah, but I'm on pills, and it hasn't happened for a long time. It happened just now. You suddenly fell asleep while looking at this awful book, and it made you dream of monsters. But Susie, where's Susie? I'm so sorry, baby. You know Susie disappeared last week, but it wasn't a monster. Her mother lost custody. But she was so desperate to be with her daughter that she snuck in and they ran away together. I'm sure little Susie is just fine and she'll be back soon. That's not true. How could I know she was missing? Because I sat you down and told you about it myself. You were so worried about your friend that you buried that memory deep down, but it came back in your imagination. That statue, it looks just like you, and it grew arms and legs. Even as he said it, he knew that his mother would wipe that argument clean, just like the others. He was barely listening as she told him. You know how you sometimes wake up in a different room than you went to sleep in? Yeah, he replied in a tone of somber defeat. He was losing, and he knew it. You sleepwalk, honey. You took some of my makeup, and you made the statue look like me. Plus, it always had arms and legs. They're just too fragile to hold it up, and that's why your father drilled in the pole. Now that he saw them standing side by side, they didn't look so similar after all but he wasn't ready to give up. He was crying when he spoke next. No, it's a monster. It's gonna kill you and I'm gonna be all alone with it. She sighed, rolled her eyes, and went to the shelf where the crowbar was kept handy for opening crates. She picked it up and returned to the statue. She paused to look Eddie in the eyes as if telling him, just watch this. She swung. Eddie clenched his body, ready for the statue to raise up its arms and defend itself. Which never happened. The crowbar smashed into the stone. She swung again. Nothing. Again. Nothing. She kept beating at it until finally one of its arms broke off. She drew the metal bar back one last time and swung so hard that the statue fell on its side and crashed to the floor with a terrible boom. Breathless, she asked, if it was alive, would it let me do that? No, Mom. Eddie finally gave up. He had always been imaginative. That's what everyone told him. This was just like Santa Claus and the Boogeyman. Nothing but make-believe. All the puzzle pieces of logic came together, and the picture wasn't so bad after all. Part of him hoped he was wrong, and that part spread until it was the only part. Good. Now why don't you go set the table? I'll be down to make lunch after I clean up this mess. Ed did as he was told but stopped in the doorway, looking back at his mother. Mom, I love you. I love you too, sweetie. When he was gone, she stepped over to where the statue lay, looked at it with a wry smile and shook her head in amusement. She crouched down and looked closely for a short second. There was a tiny throbbing line on the side of its neck. Barbara's mouth closed tightly, And with no particular hurry, her lips parted again. The teeth were yellow and jagged in her mouth. Her mouth didn't stop opening, it crept up and up. The nose split and each inch revealed another inch of teeth. It spread wider and bulged out to make room for yet more teeth to emerge, each the size of a dagger. It struck savagely, deep into the stone throat, which sheared like flesh. Blood spurted from within, and she drank and drank until no more blood flowed. Face covered in red, she looked to the alabaster eyes. What a talented boy you have. The idiot's face moved closer. Next time, I'll kill him. The creature protracted a huge, spiked tongue and cleaned its entire face of blood in a single swath. By the time it sucked the tongue back in, the fangs had transformed back into perfectly innocent human teeth, which smiled in sincere satisfaction. As she lifted the statue, the legs crumbled to dust. Before leaving, the creature checked to make sure there was no trace of any humanity in the stone bust. Afterwards, if anyone had been there to look, they would have seen what might have been a single drop of salt water slide down from the still stone eye. A translation from Caesarius es deus mamortium whispers from the dead god. Measuring from the base, puncture half an inch above the ear at a thirty degree angle apply the apocrym to a fresh needle and insert into the aperture do not insert further than two inches into the brain attach a copper wire and apply no direct translation possible most likely a form of electricity at unit of measurement unknown if done correctly the subject may survive and regain consciousness some hours later beware The subjects always awaken to madness and are hence unpredictable. Most often they will be confused and have trouble focusing their vision. Once consciousness fully returns they appear to see something that others cannot. It is the sight of this thing alone that drives them to madness. Some subjects will become violent and if left with nothing to kill or mutilate will take their own life. Many will lapse into seizure until death. Some, however, will sink quickly into utter, complete and incurable insanity. By application of this method to a virgin woman, there may result in a cambion. The cambian child will invariably kill the mother during birth, but the child itself will appear completely normal. It is folly, however, to believe the child is human. In its eyes is reflected the vision of all things, not just of this world, but of all worlds and all dimensions. One should never look a cambion in the eyes, lest he see something whose form would break his mortal mind. It is not recommended to allow the cambion to reach maturity before slaughter, lest its cunning overtake thy own. The slaughter must be done on the sacrificial altar with a dagger anointed in the blood of the Mother. Once complete, collect the blood and store at 120 degrees celsius. If the blood is not drained immediately, the body will behave unpredictably. It will most likely morph from its human form into that most resembling its father in this plane. The blood of the organism in this state is unusable. Once the cambion has been drained, its body will solidify and become a stone. Secure it with all the solidity in one's power and as far from civilization as possible. Cambion have been known to be buried in great stone pyramids deep in the desert. Do not attempt to destroy the body, it will always reform elsewhere. The live Cambion is dangerous, but a dead Cambion is infinitely worse. Its ability to metamorphose is not restricted to its own body but extends through dream, too. This section is followed by the pages seen by the boy, Eddie Morgan, prior to the incident on Janet Street. The page following this section has only a single line of text. That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange aeons, even death may die.
3: I hope you enjoyed Dead But Dreaming, as written by Kyle Gruber and voiced by Nick Goroff. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. If you drop by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here. Our second tale of the evening is written by Amaris and is performed by Olivia Steele, Creepy Face, and Justine Anastasia. Having roommates is seldom easy, but in our second tale, we meet a woman freshly moved into a shared home. Her roommates seemed harmless at first, as long as you were a woman. Now, without further ado, I present to you Slur.
5: It feels like breathing while drowning. As if your body is about to fall over because your chest is too heavy to carry it. Your eyes are burning and no amount of water can put out the fire. You can't move and every action feels like a chore. Washing your hair becomes hard. You feel disgusting as the dirt builds up in your pores. Life becomes dirty, and you're desperate to feel clean again. This was what it felt like to lose a parent. It was the last thing my mother ever taught me. My mother died four years ago, and I crawled throughout my senior year to deal with it. When I finally got on my own two legs, I moved to Los Angeles for something new. After graduating from college in Connecticut, I needed a fresh start. I found Kayla Wu on a Facebook group for housing sublets in the LA area. Her posting said that she was looking for a roommate to add to the lease. It was 900 monthly, with parking and an on-site washer and dryer. It seemed like a good deal. Kayla was short, in shape, with blonde streaks in her sleek, black hair. She worked in finance. I envied her as I sat across from her in Starbucks. I wish I had my life together. Where are you from? She asked me. Connecticut, I responded, timidly taking sips from my over-expensive latte. Yourself? She looked up at me and smiled.
2: I'm American, if that's what you're wondering.
5: Oh, I just asked because you asked me, I quickly replied, choking on the liquid. I never thought you weren't American. I could feel my face growing hot and red. I hoped it wasn't visible.
2: What do you do for work? I have to make sure the girl that moves in here can pay her dues on time. She said less pleasantly.
5: I just moved here and got a job at Garney's Coffee Shop in North Hollywood. I also have some savings while I look for a better paying job in my field. I looked down at my coffee as I waited for her to answer. So you
2: went to college.
5: Good. Kayla replied. She sniffed her coffee, which was weird, before drinking it. I could see the steam coming out from the top. I know my coffee was searing, which is why it was weird to see her gulping it down. No, not gulping. Slurping.
2: I like you, Olivia. I think you'll be a good fit. Do we have a deal?
5: She stood up and threw her coffee away before putting out her hand. Absolutely. I shook it. My father called me the next day. I told him how I had found housing. He usually calls every two days to check up on me. I felt bad for abandoning him on the East Coast. But I think we both needed space to live, breathe, and to grieve. The next weekend, I moved into my new room. Kayla wasn't home when I got there. She left my key under the doormat. My room was large and I had two big closets. I didn't have that much stuff with me. For the first time in a long time, I didn't think about my mom. I didn't feel everything. I felt normal. Like myself again. I ordered a pizza and worked on my laptop until I heard the door open downstairs. Laughter filled the living room. I wiped my hands and went to greet my new roommate. I saw Kayla and some guy with blue hair hugging it out in the kitchen. Great. She has a boyfriend. Not. Hey Olivia. She said, smiling, as if she wasn't sucking a dude's face right in front of me. I love the room, I said with
2: enthusiasm. It's a big room. Oh, Olivia, this is my friend Mark. Mark, this is my new roommate. Mark put out his hand. I took it.
5: His skin was cold. He was a good-looking guy, but he seemed somewhat out of place with her. I guess not her boyfriend? So Kayla liked to hook up. There were two large bags of food on the ground next to them.
2: We picked up Chinese.
5: Mark grabbed the bags and followed his nightly entertainment upstairs.
2: I'll see you later, Olivia. Let me know
5: if you need anything. Kayla yelled. That night, I lied in my bed, staring at the wall. I couldn't sleep. I heard noises coming from Kayla's room. Great. Here comes the jungle sex. I heard Mark moaning and Kayla screeching. I thought about the last time I had sex. It had been a while. My lady parts throbbed a bit. I felt weirded out that I was so turned on. Then I heard the shouting. Damn, that must be a really good fuck. Then the shouting turned into screaming. What have I done? Is every night going to be like this? Mark was screaming. It didn't sound like pleasure anymore. I leaned up and walked over to my door, listening through the wood. The guy was literally screaming.
3: Stop it. Please. Please.
5: I heard through the door. What the hell was she doing to him? Then I heard something that I still don't understand. I heard slurping. The way a person slurps when they get to the bottom part of their drink. The way Kayla slurped that coffee at Starbucks. Disgusting. I held my breath and everything went quiet. Kayla's door opened and I quickly went back to my bed. I heard the shower pipe running. It must have been super messy. I was no longer turned on. Honestly, I was mortified. I closed my eyes and forced myself to sleep. This girl was crazy, and my excitement for my new place went away. Instead, I was filled with unease. The next morning, I awoke to the smell of breakfast. I was getting ready for work, so I couldn't talk for long. I showered, picked up my clothes, and headed downstairs. I saw Kayla flipping eggs on the stove. "'Good morning,' she greeted. "'Good morning,' I replied as I looked for my box of cereal on top of the fridge.
2: "'I hope we didn't keep you up last night. I'm sorry if we were loud,' I snorted.
5: "'No, you were fine.' I poured my cereal into a bowl and searched for the milk.
2: "'Would you like some?'
5: she offered, pointing to the pan of eggs. "'No thanks,' I responded, feeling awkward. I noticed something on her wrist. A deep scratch mark. Kayla noticed me looking and rolled up her sleeve.' A smile fading away. Where's Mark? I asked.
2: He went home already.
5: She said, putting the eggs on a plate. Oh, uh, will you see him again? I questioned as I tied my shoelaces.
2: No, he won't be coming back. Kayla laughed. She took her plate of eggs to the table. He was delicious, if you know what I mean.
5: In the corner of my eye, I saw something scurry underneath the sink. I bent down to take a look. It was a spider. I screamed and grabbed my shoe. Before I could squish it, Kayla was behind me, grabbing the shoe from my hand. What are you doing? She yelled angrily. Move. Kayla picked up the spider with her hand, her bare fucking hand, and put it outside.
2: In this house, we don't kill.
5: We preserve, she said coldly. Sorry, I just hate spiders. Kayla returned to her eggs. They're just misunderstood." I walked out of the house to my car. On my way to work, I noticed a flyer attached to a pole with a young man's face on it. He didn't look older than twenty. The flyer stated he had gone missing a month ago. Great. I guess the neighborhood isn't that safe. As I walked into Garnie's for my shift, I nervously fixed my apron around my waist. I'd been working here for a month as I stayed on a friend's couch. The shift manager, Alan, was into me. Honestly, I was into him. When the rush died down and we had some free time, I told him about my roommate, Kayla. I told him what I'd heard last night. He thought it was weird too.
2: Did you see him leave, or him?
5: Alan asked. No. A week later, on a night I was coming back home from my shift, I saw the lights on from the outside. I went to Target earlier to buy some Raid anti-spider spray. I hid it in my bathroom. Just the thought of any of those crawlers on me made me feel sick. As I opened the door, I heard laughing. Kayla was sitting at the table with a guy with red hair and freckles. A new guy already? He even wants to have sex that much. How was
2: work, Olivia?
5: They were eating Indian food. At least she feeds the men she screws. Good. I responded tiredly. I took off my shoes and looked through the cabinet for some soup. This is my friend Zack. Zack got up to shake my hand. I took it and smiled back. Honestly, I was tired and annoyed. It appeared that Kayla's sexual escapades were going to be a normal occurrence, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to live with screams and moans every night, especially the screams that come from these men that sleep with her. It was terrifying. Kayla and Zach whispered to each other and headed upstairs. Good night, Zach said before following after his catch, but who was catching who? That night, I played music on my phone to drown out any sex noises. Everything seemed normal until the screams started. At first, it sounded pleasurable, but then they became animalistic, like a cornered animal trying to run away. Zach's screams became so scary that I got out of bed with my phone ready to call the police. I opened my door. Just a crack. Nothing but our dark hallway. Until Kayla's door opened and Zach ran out screaming for his life. I saw his face. It looked changed, as if his flesh were melting off the bone. What the hell was I even seeing? I couldn't move. I saw his tendons and a piece of bone! Was that his eyeball falling to the floor? <laughs> Help me! Help!" Zach screeched, but his words became watery as he collapsed to the ground, turning into a blob of blood purple and blue. I vomited in my mouth. Kayla came out of her room, but she was no longer the woman I met. She had spiky hair all over her skin. And a large engorged tongue that resembled a suction. Fangs! Kayla had fangs! With that tongue, she slurped up all the blood and flesh from the carpet. By the end, the fabric was white and perfectly clean. Her skin is going back to normal, and her fangs disappearing back into her mouth. I took a step back, and my floor creaked. Kayla looked at the direction of my room, I quickly closed the door and ran to my bed, pulling the covers over my face. I heard my door open. I heard her footsteps coming towards my bed. After a moment, the footsteps went back towards the hallway. Kayla's door closed. I didn't sleep that night. When the sun rose, I got up and started packing my bags. I was going to sneak out and head back east. Fuck this. I was in danger and all the adrenaline inside me was raging. I had to get out of here, but then something struck me. I had just seen a man get murdered and devoured alive. I understand now that that's what happened to Mark. She ate him. Kayla eats men. If I went back home, I would be safe, but what would happen to all the others who would come here thinking they would scored? The way the flesh melted from his face. I vomited again just thinking about it. No one was going to save me. I had to save myself, but I had to save those men. That's something my mother taught me. A couple of days later, I saw one of my neighbors outside. I walked over to her and introduced myself. Her name was Angela, big breasted and poorly dyed blonde hair. It's nice to meet you, I said, trying not to gawk at her G-cups. I was curious about the history of this place and my roommate. Do you know what happened to the person that used to live here before me? Angela looked around first, and then leaned closer to me. Don't say anything to your roommate, but you're like the sixth woman to move in here since she took over number 14. Six other people have lived here? Yep, replied Angela. It's funny, I've seen them all move in, but I've never seen them leave. I decided to let it go, to leave quietly without Kayla knowing that I knew her secret, that hopefully I would get out of that house alive, with all my belongings. If she ever found out that I knew, what would stop her from finding me, killing me, turning me into a blob of flesh and eating me? that night when I came home, she was already sitting in the living room with two young men who looked no older than my age. One of them had a crooked nose and the other had terrible acne.
2: How are you, Olivia?
5: She asked, as if she wasn't a man-eating, slurping, thing toothed monster. I'm okay. I actually need to talk to you about something. Can it wait until tomorrow? She replied innocently. Sure, I responded. Shall
2: we go upstairs?
5: She gestured to the men. They both glanced at each other in glee. The men disappeared to her room. I watched them, probably and certainly, head towards their agonizing deaths. I could walk away, abandon my things and leave for home. I looked at the front door. So close. I can't let them die. Not like that. I grabbed a knife and headed upstairs to my room. I heard Kayla's bed shaking and I closed my door, waiting, ready for what was to come. Like clockwork, one of the men started screaming. I rushed out of my bedroom with a knife and opened Kayla's door. The man with the crooked nose was sitting in the corner, naked. The acne-filled man was a red blob on her bed. Kayla, fully transformed into her spiky self, glanced at me and grimaced before slurping it up.
2: You're just in time, Olivia.
5: What the fuck are you? I screamed. Kayla's smile disappeared as she slurped up the mushy remains of the man with acne. I'm
2: pretty sure I saw a piece of pimple on the floor. (laughs) What do you mean? I am as human as you. I just have different
5: tastes. She responded, laughing. Yeah, misunderstood? Let him go. Let him go right now. I could feel my legs trying to collapse.
2: Or what? You're going to stab me with a knife?
5: She came towards me, quickly, unnaturally fast, and grabbed the knife. She threw it, and it landed perfectly straight into the man with the crooked nose's chest. Why did you have me live here? So you could eat me? I yelled.
2: I don't like women's flesh. The thing is, Olivia, I need you. Or rather, my babies do.
5: Every six months you kill your roommate?
2: Not right away, but once they hatch inside of you, that's usually when it happens. Slowly, painfully, and beautifully. You're part of the process.
5: I tried to run, but she was too quick. She picked me up and threw me across the hallway. I hit the wall. She picked me up and dragged me into my bathroom. She pushed my head into the toilet.
2: I couldn't breathe. Just let it go, Olivia. You've lost, and I need your body.
5: With my left hand, I grabbed whatever I could reach. The raid bottle. Without thought, I unscrewed the top and dumped it on her. What the fuck? She screeched. Kayla's skin was burning. I threw the rest of it at her face. She screamed. I grabbed the bleach next and dumped that too. Her body started to burn and melt in front of me, but she wasn't melting fast enough. She was about to come for me with her acidic body when the guy with the crooked nose appeared behind her. He pulled the knife out of his chest and stabbed her in the back. Kayla writhed in agony and deserved pain as she became a mesh of flesh. The man with the crooked nose fell and hit the ground, bleeding out. I called 911, but by the time the police arrived, there was a dead man and a pile of melted goop on the floor. I was never charged with the deaths. You see, what Kayla didn't know was that I have been here before. I am a pro at breathing while drowning. My chest has been heavy for years and I can carry this fucked up moment. My eyes cannot forget the burning of human flesh or the slurping, but I can envision my future. Knowing what I am capable of. Not enough showers can cleanse this blood from my hair. But I no longer feel the need to be clean. Life is dirty. That's something my mother taught me.
3: I hope you enjoyed Slurp. As written by Amaris. And voiced by Olivia Steele. Creepy Face and Justine Anastasia. You can hear more from Olivia Steele right here on our Vario network, as well as on her YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. Creepy Faces performances can be found right here on our Vario network, as well as on his YouTube channel called by the same name, Creepy Face. He has worked very hard making a career out of voice acting and his love for horror And with his talent, we just had to have him on our team. I implore you, please check him out. Help us welcome our newest, chilling family member. And as a reminder, you can hear more of Justine Anastasia right here on our official YouTube channel. She also has written for the show, as well as being one of the judges for the 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Knights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, chillingtalesfordarknights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.